You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. X-Men. Hey everyone, and welcome to another horrific episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast. We remake every story from Arbitoire to, I don't know, Zombie, I guess? You're Adam. You're Adam. Is that what I... You're Adam. From A to Z? Oh yeah, I'm Adam. You say that every... We've been doing this 300 sometimes. Yeah, but you said zombie. I I missed my cue. I'm Adam. No, we say from A to Z, and then you say, I'm Adam, and then I'm like... No, but you said zombie, so I got... Yeah, arbitoire to zombie, A to Z. I'm doing spooky. It's Halloween, guys. It's our Halloween episode. Happy uh, happy Halloween, Zach. Uh, this is our Halloween episode. Well, and that's the thing. And thank you for bringing that up. Because as has come up on this podcast, I grew up in a fairly conservative religious home. And can I tell you how many times I dressed up and celebrated Halloween? Uh, minimally, I'm assuming. <laughs> Zero is the answer. I did go to oh. a harvest party once. Oh, um, Zach. W- would you like to know what I what I was dressed what I was dressed as for this harvest party at a uh, at the Christian school I was attending? Can I get a can I get an age range so that I can make a proper guess? I want to say second grade. Okay, were you a pumpkin? No, I was the the Bible, the Holy Word of God. Oh God! <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Great thing about the costume. The great thing about the costume. Which now that I'm thinking back was a white sheet and that made it now that I'm hearing this out loud. Oh, no. I don't think I don't think there are any intentions on that. But I mean, ghosts are also white sheets is a Halloween costume ghost like that is not a non-traditional anyway was not anyway. The front just had like a cross and it said Holy Bible on it. And when you opened it up, it said like John 1 1 in the beginning. Uh, oh, my God. So that's the word and the word was God and the word became. Yeah. Yeah. All of that's. The word became flesh. You know, all of that, all that Bible stuff, it was right there. That was my costume. So you could open it up and it said the Bible verse. See, Zach, you're missing the great pleasures of being like a, an 11 year old and dressing up as Grifter for Halloween from Wildcats. You know, like these are the joys of regular suburban life. But look, we are talking about many, many layers of hell this week and we needed some help. Yeah. So we decided based on my traditional Christian upbringing. Uh, we aren't we aren't going to do a Halloween episode. Uh, we're going to do the youth group alternative, which is, of course, a hell house. <laughs> and there's no not, one. Not a hell house. Adam, LLC, the found footage movie that I watched that's a, recently. That's a completely different thing. Adam did not understand this bit until I showed him a movie trailer from a documentary from 2001, like 10 minutes before this. And he said, oh, that's what we're doing. I said, yes, and this is all making sense. now. <laughs> uh, no, we're doing a hell house, which is, of course. A uh, the Christ, a Christian version of a haunted house uh, where you get you get people who do sins and then are cursed to hell for eternity for those sins. Normally in ironic ways, it can be very clever, but it does get a lot of teenagers to yell about how bad abortion is. Anyway, I say all that to say that in the in the traditional Dantean sense, we do need a guide uh, through hell. We need someone to help bring us through this, and I can think of no one better than our friend. Robert Sarkundis. Rob, how you doing today, buddy? I am. I am very happy to be uh, your Virgil tonight, folks. <laughs> um, my Halloween upbringing was celebrating the Catholic feast of All Saints Day, 
which occurs wow. next day. And so we were not allowed to dress up or celebrate. Oh, uh, but we did dress up as saints, which normally were some variety of priest or friar or monk uh, the next mm-hmm. day during school. Um, so no one, no one's going with like a Bartholomew or a uh, I don't know who's the werewolf saint, Christopher. Christopher. Well, the the werewolf dimension of Saint Christopher was not widely known among Catholics at the time, and he was okay. recently taken off the roster of official. Of official guys, so he was very, uh, very unusual. George was a common, uh, was a common one. Michael, you know, get some wings and a sword. It was yeah. always cool if you could be Michael. That sounds so you fun. Could, like pretend it was real Halloween. You can get like a, a, a Michael, a Raphael, a Uriel, yeah. a Gabriel. Mm-hmm. All right, I want to ask both of you this question. Uh, <laughs> now having heard yeah. these horror stories coming from your youth, the the youth of America comes to your door asking for candy. What did you do? Did you tell them to, oh, you know, practice the... safe sex or like, <laughs> oh, wait, why would I, why would you say that? No, you wouldn't say that. Uh, yeah, these are children. Mr. Ch- children do no, trick or treating. Like, are you moralizing the to them? Are you, yeah. I, I realize that the Catholics would never have said that, you but um, turn off, no. you turn off your, okay, actually, Adam, there's two alternatives here and I need to, if you don't know about one of them, guys, we're going to get to, we're going to get to X-Men comics soon, but this is also comics related. Uh, the first is, Adam, you turn off your porch light, the universal sign for we're not doing Halloween this year. Uh, Great. Okay. So you were those, those people. Yes. yes. The second, okay. the second alternative is you hand out chick tracks. <laughs> oh no. You know about chick did tracks, really, right? Yeah, But did you really do that? Oh, Adam. The amount of tracks that I have handed out in my life, uh, oh, we did have, this will be relevant to my audience, our audience. We did have a track that one of my Bible teachers in school wanted us to hand out. It was not chick track. The thing about chick tracks is if you only know comics, you only know a track as a chick track. No, that's, it's just a common publishing form, like a mini zine for moralization. Anyway, this was a chick track for specifically for the gay audience. That had a picture of Tammy Faye Baker on it and said, Tammy Faye loves you and so does God. Oh, no one explained to turn. me who Tammy Faye was at the time because she was a bit before my generation. OK, OK. You know, maybe before we start, we should clarify maybe like that. This is not your current vibe. <laughs> I feel like our listeners know this, but if you've <laughs> never listened to this show before, they yeah. might be concerned. I don't know. I'm going to be talking about some Jason Aaron comics later, so we <laughs> have gotten that complaint before. <laughs> <laughs> this would right. not be the first time that our listeners have had a assumption that I wear a red hat just because I uh, talked about Christianity sometimes uh, as part of my upbringing. I, I should clarify up front that I am a Catholic heretic as well. So uh, I'm not even good. Catholic. I'm Protestant, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and my nature to religion right now is not something I want to get into on this show. It's something I do not like to grapple with. That is totally fine. Anyway, let's talk about hell. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, Our first hell this week is uh, from X-Men King Size Annual number four. Uh, This is Nightcrawler's Inferno. So Nightcrawler's Inferno. Uh, When we think of Inferno, what do we think of, Adam? Uh, Well, we think of the best of the three of Dante O'Leary's um, books. But um, Rob, I do recall um, you expressing... We think of the X-Men story. We think of the X-Men story where they 
turn everyone into <laughs> demons in uh, Daredevil fights a vacuum cleaner. What are you talking about? That is also true. That is also true. But we did talk about Dante's Inferno recently, and uh, Rob, you just wanted to speak up on behalf of Purgatory and um, uh, what's the what's the other one? The Heaven one. It's Paradiso. Uh, Paradiso. Paradiso. Where a giant yeah. phoenix comes from the night sky and as a collection of souls in the afterlife and tells Dante all about the ancient Roman emperor who became a zombie in order to get baptized and enter the kingdom which, of heaven. Which, wow. which issue of X-Men was this in? Was this like a classic <laughs> size backup or something? Or? Hey, the phoenix is in it, you know? I, I know, it's sounding, it's sounding like an X-Men thing X-Men. already. Da- Dante, uh, actually, the character is uh, Zach Rabaroff, and I found out that this over the pandemic when we had a brief uh, mini series on the site about weird Marvel horror, um, Dante I, in Earth Six One Six is a Kazar character who uh, yes. really just accidentally stumbled upon Belasco's Disneyland hell themed funhouse, and that's, that's awesome. where he got all of his ideas <laughs> for the Inferno. Apparently. I do believe. I do believe this story. Is actually this that story is the story Ileana interrupts during uh the Magic Queen yes. series. Yep. Yep. That's pretty it's amazing. Wild. And that's not that different than what we're experiencing in this particular issue, except instead of Belasco, uh we have the first appearance of Margali's uh, Margali's Ardos. So we have to set this up. The X-Men are celebrating a holiday. No, it's not Halloween. Yes, it is Nightcrawler's 21st birthday. Yeah. He got a picture of Wolverine from Wolverine. Very, very famous picture. He gets a picture of Wolverine from Wolverine while Wolverine is eating the largest leg of turkey any of them has ever seen. <laughs> he's just come from like the Magic Kingdom with his like emu leg and he's chowing down. Uh, By the way, this oh, is Chris should... Claremont, John Romita Jr., Bob McLeod. Uh, but there's one more gift, and that is uh, what appears to be a crystal figurine of Nightcrawler, which promptly blows his head up and kills him. They've got to figure that out. Doctor Strange shows up because some magic stuff just happened to a demon. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange shows up. He's like, hey, Professor X, we're friends. Let's figure out what's going on with your guy. Anyway, long story short, they all of the X-Men get sent to hell. And by hell, I mean a hell that has something inscribed on the doors of hell. Rob... I got to ask you, because this is jumping into the Dante Inferno and not the not the late 2000s, early 2010s video game version of it. How accurate is this Dante's Inferno as appearing in King Size Annual number four X-Men uh, to Dante's actual book, poem, it, it, what have you? It is. Uh, I, I So I forgot to look up the specific translation Claremont is using here. But he is quoting because, directly because from it's like, not because it it feels it's not like your traditional abandon all hope ye who enter here. But but it is uh, uh, I be, I'm fairly certain it is a very traditional translation mm-hmm. um, that this is an accurate depiction of uh, hell that like and throughout most of the issue while he does do little tweaks it seems very clear that Claremont was like reading the Inferno at the time and was. Uh, trying to stick with it as best he could for most stuff like Malabolgia, the circle with all the bulges where Dante is just like a round of space for sinners with my nine circles. I got to make little mini circles for a while. That, that kind of thing making appearances is wild. Um, He, he has a lot of the important details that uh, would not be the most obvious first thing you pick 
when doing uh Dante pastiche. Oh, I was going to say, we get some harpies. We have a Cerberus in here. Um, there's all kinds of, of, you know, critters trying to get them. And uh, well, it, it turns out that storm gets kind of transformed into a purple snake thing at one point. Cause I guess that's the kind of thing that just happens to storm on the regular. Well, so storm gets thrown into the pit for thieves, which, okay. Fair. <laughs> I get it. She Everyone's sitting there like as a kid. She stole a lot of wallets. She was very good at her job. <laughs> uh, right. And even Wolverine's like, okay, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Uh, so as they get to the seventh circle of hell, they have to free her. That all works out. They get to the very cold center of hell. Nightcrawler is frozen there. Now, Rob, the center of hell, uh, what's it reserved for again? The ninth circle, the frozen pit? That would, that would be traitors. Traitors, people who betray their uh, kin, their country, or uh, their friends or their god the very center so nightcrawler is upset because he feels like he is a traitor because he did kill his brother mm -hmm. because him and his brother made a blood pact to say hey by the way if i ever go crazy and start murdering children please put me down and nightcrawler <laughs> says sure that's a weird thing to agree to did not think it would be relevant <laughs> it was made everyone upset at nightcrawler he had to go be a superhero for a little bit yeah, so he's yeah. feeling guilt. Uh, because get, Kurt get is responsible. Oh, go ahead. So, so, uh, get, getting frozen for killing your brother after he tells you to to stop him from murdering babies is a lot less evil than the typical uh, people you see in this uh, realm, like mm. Count Ugolino, who kind of ate his family. Um, right. And Jesus. that sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Or sorry, sorry. Uh, cause someone else to eat his family. Am I mixing that up? Anyway, a family got eight in that story. It's a uh, gruesome yeah. stuff. Yeah. So really, the lizard should be in that circle of hell, if anybody. But lizards are cold blooded. It would kill him. He would not be able to survive in that circle of hell. That's true. Yeah, he really does need that heat source. Um, but in the midst of this, we're also getting uh, some defense from who else but Jermaine. Uh, who shows up to to really stand up for for Nightcrawler? Um, now, Jermaine is, is of really... course his sister, who we've never met before. Right now, we we are getting all of this backstory. However, it's revealed once they come back to uh, reality that Jermaine is none other than Kurt's current girlfriend, flight attendant, and sometimes sorceress Amanda Sefton. And everyone's happy about this. No one plays it as a weird thing. No, Kurt in. You know, it has this really fun panel where he just says, oh, boy. <laughs> Listen, if delighted. anyone wants to hear if anyone wants to hear extensive Amanda Sefton incest talk, a uh, friend of the show, Anna Pepard, has a great seven hour episode of Cerebro about this. You can go listen to very recent. A lot of this story is in there. Uh, that was unplanned. They, they are not playing this weirdly. Like, it's just, it's, hey, it's these fine. characters are you know we're raised together they're not actually related so they're gonna they they're lived, gonna date they lived in a communal circus together that's fine yeah yep circus laws throw everything out the window but regardless <laughs> they get out of hell because all of his friends stand up for it and jermaine stands up to margoli about this and kitty pride who's not been there like hey guys that was weird but i i think you're all okay now and i'm mm -hmm. really happy for that and then they go celebrate nightcrawler's birthday and he gets to hang out with his girlfriend. 
sister. It's a it's a super good time for everybody. It's cute. And I, I think that the artwork here is pretty good, too. You know, this is early JRJR and uh, Bob McLeod teaming up. And I think especially the way that Wolverine is drawn here is fantastic. Uh, just just love the, the round curves of, of the way these characters are drawn. Um, I do see a little bit of JRJR's uh, weird kid faces coming through with kitty so i'm not clear on each page like who's penciling who's inking it's not it's not spelled out that way but uh this feels a lot more bob mcleod to me like it feels like it feels like there's a lot of mcleod in this where and that Mm -hmm. makes sense uh ramita's just getting his style going but in general like this is right after this is right after dark phoenix this is a fun kind of break for the team to go to hell and deal with the ramifications of that on a, on a hell meter, Rob, how accurate would you say this hell is to you've already covered Dante's hell, but the biblical uh, Christian text hell, how accurate would you say this is? Well, the the biblical hell and the Christian understanding of hell are two very different, uh, (laughs) two very different things. Um, I would say this, this is uh, maybe a one out of 10 Bible hells. uh, Okay. (laughs) And eight out of 10 Dante hells. And um, maybe like a seven out of 10 Christian hells, because normally you don't, you don't come back from it. Right. Like that's the big, right. thing. Mm. Unless your origin origins, like the one guy and some Eastern Orthodox Christians also are like, yeah, hell, you know, it's, you hang out for a while, a long while, and then you head upstairs. Uh, but for most people, it's like a permanent sort of deal, which to be fair in like Greek hell, which Dante pulls a lot from, People just pop in and out of there. Like very oh, famously, yeah. you just pop in, you grab somebody, you do not look back, and then you're going to be fine. In fact, Absolutely. some would say there's entire video games about breaking out of Greek <laughs> hell. There's operas about it. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories. So uh, I like this Hellometer. I think we need to keep this. This is a good We're going to keep the, the Hellometer. But uh, we I also have... This is the max our... Hellometer for the night, I think. <laughs> Okay. All right. Um, We also have our big old list. So uh, Zach, I think we should try and put this annual on it. Yeah. Here's the thing about our big old list. It's covering every X-Men story of all time. We are ranking them from best to worst. And wouldn't you know it? The best X-Men story still is House of X powers of 10, a story that some of us have written small books about. The number 100th is Age of X-Men next gen. That stars Glob Herman. Uh, Number 200 is Cable minus one. Uh, Number 300 is the Power Pack uh, issues that introduce the Morlocks. Number 400 is the Zao arc of uh, X-Men 2099. Number 500 is Generation Hex. Number 600 is Life and Times of Lucas Bishop. Number 700 is Emma Frost Higher Learning. Number 800 is X-Force Shatterstar. Uh, And number 831, the worst X-Men story of all time, is 2099 World of Tomorrow. And honestly, I don't think the list has ever been more just like emblematic of this podcast at every single point than the list is right now because all of those stories are like okay yeah those are those are those are ones (laughs) that we could talk about for a spell we are doing our jobs correctly now if i'm searching this list correctly the highest x-men annual that we have on this list is at 291 which is uncanny x-men annual number 18 which i believe is the one with jubilee and caliban and it is this is better than that in the sewers and I think this is, this is better, better than that. Yeah. Is it better this or has... worse than the Battle World Inferno? Ooh. From Secret Wars. Question. Um, That's at 273 th- right now. 
I mean, it clearly has more like canonical stuff that you kind of need to know about Nightcrawler um, for the future. Um, so I'm going to say I think it's better. I also think it's better. This is also better than X Infernus, another story with the X-Men go to hell. Um, yep. I have a cap, though. This is not better okay. than Magic Volume 2, the Amanda Sefton Magic series. That's at 2.6 oh. right now. Yeah, and speaking of that Cerebro episode, it would jo- it brought joy to my heart to hear Connor really rave with uh, with my one and only Amanda uh, Amanda Anna Peppard. You just call her. Uh, you have to keep that in now. She has to hear. Oh, I this. will. I will. If not, uh, I will text her about Amanda Sefton's Magic Volume Two because man, we loved that mini, and I agree. This is not as good as that. Uh, is it as good as the time that Power Pack invited everybody over for Thanksgiving at 2.36? Another great turkey leg related issue. Um, <laughs> I would say no, but it is better than the X-Men Legacy Invasive Exotic arc. Okay, so this is going to be our new 237 Uncanny X-Men Annual number 18. Nice. Yes. All right. Uh, Now, this is not the only time that members of the X-Men have gone to hell. So where are we going next, Zach? So next, Adam, we're going back to hell because we're staying in hell. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Rob, this is a story that I picked when I picked out this one. I picked this one out first. and I was like, oh, no, this is why we need to have Rob on the podcast, because I didn't think Rob had read this. And I wanted Rob to know about this. Rob, had you read Jason Aaron's Wolverine Goes to Hell, the storyline slash mini Wolverine event launching three different books about how Wolverine goes to hell? I, I had not. I'd known about it for a long time and I'd put it off because Jason Aaron's kind of important to me in terms of like loving the X-Men in comics or like you you guys and the Chris's and uh, Jay and Miles all kind of and War Rocket Ajax kind of got me to start a pull list when I got into all of those mm-hmm. podcasts um but before that the thing that got me to finally start picking up trades whenever they came out was jason aaron's wolverine and the x-men so mm-hmm. i loved him okay. back in the day i've loved him less in recent years and so every <laughs> time i've thought about uh jason aaron writing wolverine going to hell i thought i really want that to be good and i'm so scared it's not so i've put it off until tonight I love this story because i too have similar feelings uh Loved Wolverine and the X-Men. And the more I read of Jason Aaron's Wolverine. Because uh, Zach, you very famously have uh, noted, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, that maybe Jason Aaron gets a lot of credit for some very notable stories that are good, but that maybe the rest of them aren't. <laughs> I mean, yes, I I think Jason Aaron has a ceiling that he doesn't always hit. And I think there's a good balance of Jason Aaron that works. And if he stays in that zone, I'm into it. Like, here's the thing. I very legitimately, by the time this episode comes out, will probably have read all of his Ghost Rider. Like, that's something I'm excited to read. That seems uh-huh. like the right. That seems like it's going to thread the needle for Jason Aaron. I'm happy about it. I can't wait. I've been reading so much Ghost Rider recently, by the way. Ghost Rider does appear in this comic. We'll get there. But like Jason Aaron has a lot of lot of writing ticks that I don't always click with and I sometimes get annoyed with. And some of those pop up in Wolverine Goes to Hell, the story where Wolverine goes to hell. And I think but I think it's kind of interesting. So this is uh Jason Aaron and Renato uh Gutierrez. Uh this is Aaron kicking off the Wolverine book proper. This is the first time in a short bit that there had been 
a titled a book titled Just Wolverine. This is coming out of Dark Rain, uh, where there was mm-hmm. a book called Dark Wolverine. And then Jason Aaron was writing or reading writing Wolverine Weapon X at the same time as uh, shoot. What's it called? Wolverine Origins was wrapping up its run. So this was a big Wolverine reboot up uh, and in it. Wolverine goes to hell. Yeah. Um, now, this eventually leads to another Wolverine story that we have covered, Zach, where survivors of not survivors, but loved ones of people who were killed by Wolverine are teaming up to make Wolverine's life a living hell, right? Are you talking about the red right hand? <laughs> I am. I am. Um, boy, when I saw those villains from that arc pop up again in this particular story, I went, gosh, some decisions were made. Okay. Here's the thing about the mongrels. They are intentionally dumb and bad. Like that's part of the, that's part of the red right hands whole plan is that these are characters who aren't good. Wolverine also just happens to be dating a reporter as if that's not going to get her killed. And that's very bad decision-making Wolverine. It is. I do believe that reporter is still alive. Oh, good. By the end of all of this. I do think she is still alive. Yeah. Uh, Um, I also think it's really funny that Wolverine for decades has been an unstoppable, unkillable mutant that can regenerate from a droplet of blood. And yet in this particular arc, Mystique throws him in the back of a van and someone is able to just kill him and send him to hell that easy. Well, they, they do, they do. There's like a pentagram involved. Like his body's still (laughs) good because a demon gets it. Yeah, they kind of find a loophole where it's like, all right, we can't kill your body and send your soul to hell the normal way. So we're just going to like steal it for a little bit. It's like a reverse possession for a moment. You know, before we stick something in there, we're just going to take something out. It's going to take something out and send it down. I do want to say, just because we're getting, before we get into hell, uh, the Red Right Hands plot is absolutely insane because their pre-torture is we are going to send you to hell. And their post-torture is we're going to make you feel guilty about all the people you killed. You could have just left him in hell. I feel like that was that was enough. The red right hand. Yeah, but we should get into what this hell is. And I I feel like we've got to address the art in this book and the coloring. Oh, man. Because. Oh, man. This the coloring is very Gears of War. This hell is not cool. Like. It's not great. And it it's looks a hole. like crap. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of a the ditch. And um, of all of the hells in the Marvel universe that Wolverine could be sent to, this one's pretty boring. In, in annual number four, we saw like the majesty and the awe that accompanies the horror, you know, Colossus wrestling with the gates of Dis. And in this one, it's a big hole, but it feels small because <laughs> you don't go anywhere in that hole. You're just kind of like in the one spot where the devil hangs out. Mm-hmm. That's it. This is this is Damien Hellstrom's dad, Satan, not to be confused with every other Satan in Marvel. Yeah, this one sucks. Like, he's not Mephisto. He's not any of the other, uh-huh. like, hell lords that we mentioned. He's not Satanish who has a big, big mouth in his belly. Yeah, come on. Give me something. Like, this he, guy's not. He's got fun. a big sword. And I like I like giving the devil a big sword. Uh, I think that's a cool idea. It just is a shame that the artist doesn't seem to be capable of depicting action with any sword or weapon or, 
uh, I don't know. The art here is weird in that in the scenes are like, it's just close-ups on faces. I'm like into mm. it. And then the moment it's trying to show Wolverine in a fight with the devil, which should be the coolest thing that has ever been put to paper. That should sure. be my favorite page of any comic in the world in right. history. Um, instead, it's just like, all right, I can figure out that Wolverine and the devil are in a fight, but I do kind of have to figure it out. Yeah. I've got I've got two hog based uh, conundrums with this comic. Ooh. The first the first is that this comic heavily reminds me of, as we've mentioned earlier, the video game Dante's Inferno, uh, where the devil just has a hog when he's doing his big sword fight and he's just whipping it around. And that's part of the game. And I was expecting this devil, which is very similar to also just, you know, have a hog. And then Wolverine is also buck naked at the start of this. And they cower out and put pants on him like <laughs> between issue one. They're like, Oh yeah, we should, we should cover that. Up. <laughs> and no, he's in hell. Let Wolverine, let Wolverine hang loose. Let him go nuts. Uh, yeah, there's clearly some editorial restraints on this. Um, Wolverine is being besieged by some of his former, you know, villains, uh, red hand ninjas, Zorn apparently is attacking him at one point. Uh, you were both shocked sense. that Zorn was in hell. Where do you think Zorn, who did a concentration camp in New York City, should go? <laughs> <laughs> I was I, it wasn't it wasn't so much I was surprised that Zorn was in hell. I was surprised that someone remembered Zorn and thought, you know who would be a good pool for this? You know who would get a real pop? Zorn. Which was correct. Zorn yeah. always gets a pop from me, but always thinking about Zorn over here. I get that. Who Wolverine Wolverine's shocked to see two people in hell. Uh one of which is Mariko Yoshida, yes. who he's very upset about until I think the devil reminds him. She ran the Yakuza, dude. <laughs> she <laughs> ran the Yakuza. Yep, yep. And uh, I'm assuming that the other person that he's shocked to see you're referring to is Puck? Oh, no. I Puck definitely was dead and deserved to be in hell. That, okay. Oh, yeah. So who yeah. are you thinking no, of? No, I, I meant his father. Oh, <laughs> I right. meant Thomas Logan. Yeah. His biological dad. Yep, yep. Who just wants to tell him he's proud of him for all of the murders that he's done. What what a real horrible reveal that was with the shadowy figure being like, yeah, he'll be so surprised to see me. I'm manipulating everything. I'm the one that really got him to hell. And then it's his dad from Wolverine Origins, the book that no one likes and is just he's boring because he's just like a bad man, a normal man <laughs> who is bad. And his dad was just a day laborer who drank a lot. Like he he's talked about how bad the Logans were. He was just like a dude who was having an affair. Yeah, he was a little abusive to his kid. And I don't want to like downplay that. But when we're talking about the king of hell, like that's that is too pedestrian of a crime. Yeah, I think it speaks to the flatness of this storyline that the like what Jason Aaron assumes are going to be the wild emotional pulls here, like pulling us back and forth. They don't land, um, nor do the like exciting cameos. Like I would have thought that two ghost riders and a hellstorm showing up would have been more exciting, but it they don't get much to do. So it's not very exciting that they're there. The, the they ghost riders, the just one... to be clear, are Johnny Blaze and Danny Ketch. 
it's your it's your two best ghostwriters. I'm sorry, Robbie Reyes. When Tradmore draws you, you're incredible. I've seen your other comics though. <laughs> I, I was surprised too that they were both just like like I've never seen them together in a comic from this time period. And I figured they would have more of a different design than one's color of flame is slightly more yellow and they have a slightly different spiky leather trench coat, but no other differentiating features. That's yeah. because all of the cool things about go here's the, here's the, the ghost rider thing that I've learned. They had the initial design of on fire skeleton motorcycle man from jump street. The problem is Johnny blaze ghost rider is evil Knievel. And Danny Ketch Ghost Rider is all the cool things uh, because mm. Evil Knievel is a very 70s idea. So they kind of put all of the cool stuff onto Johnny Blaze, which is wild because in the 90s, Johnny Blaze has a uh, Hellfire shotgun. That's a shotgun that shoots Hellfire uh, and smokes cigarettes and just looks like a cool drifter guy all the time. Insane that they ever got away from that. But Johnny Blaze has a better superhero name than Danny Ketch. So you have a problem there. They do get the one cool moment, I think, I think unquestionably cool moment in this arc, which is the exorcism that ends up being like them throwing motorcycle chains into hell uh, or not into hell into um, another part of the world and ripping out uh, the demon man who is attacking the X-Men. It's a very confusing scene, but the visual of an exorcism just being the ghost riders uh, like pulling a guy away with their motorcycles, I think is fun. It's a fun little moment. Sure. Um, because we, we probably didn't mention this yet, but I think you alluded to it before that Wolverine's body is walking around with like Satan's like limb, like stuff. He's a random demon. It's a random demon inside. Yeah. But he's just, he's just just killing demon. Yeah. He's just walking around killing people. He tries to attack the X-Men. Uh, and then eventually kills John Wraith who just appears in this for some reason. Yeah. And is now a pastor a pastor. And I agree with you, Rob, like there's this culminating scene where Wolverine fights Satan and like takes his sword from him and like, you know, nails him to a wall. And it's like, this should be really heavy metal and fun. He crucifies him. He crucifies Satan. That's the bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, After he crucified Logan on the X, right? Yes. There's Um, a lot of his own claws should be so cool. Yeah. And it does not, it doesn't hit, man. I just, I'm not, I'm not down with it. So I I think this lands with a thud and I just was not thrilled by it. Any thoughts on the backups? Cause we get backups of other people dying to Helverine. The the art is at least cooler sometimes. Yes. I was just about to say that it ranges. There's some that are absolutely terrible and there are some that are really cool and it's like, so weird to see 2010 jamie mckelvey try and do superhero stuff uh-huh like he's just <laughs> he's just so explicitly the wrong fit yeah that it's not, not it's always yet. jarring when it happens yeah it's not that he's um, not there because like he's already done phonograph but it's just he's not he's not the right fit for this superhero story no no and honestly i don't know that the backups aside from the one about the bald guy who's like kind of designing this whole thing. Um, I forget what that guy's name was. It was a while ago. Red right hand man. Yeah, that guy. Uh, other than that one, they really just are about the the evil Wolverine body, like killing people. And it's not that exciting. I think that's my issue with this. So Rob, how accurate is this hell on the hello meter? 
Um, well, in that it is the, it, it's very bad. Um, you know, hell is the absence of God. Hell is the absence of goodness, truth, and beauty. So I think from like a very traditional, at least, uh, very traditional Christian philosophical perspective, it's, it scores, uh, relatively high on the hell scale, maybe a seven out of, uh, 10, uh, Christian hells, another zero out of 10 Bible hells, and definitely a zero yep. out of 10 Dante hells, maybe a one. Cause there is a Satan there and he's around in Dante, but otherwise pretty bad. Here's the thing about Dante hell that people forget. Satan doesn't run Dante hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Sa- Satan. It's, it's such a grand reveal when you think you get all these eloquent monologues, and you think the deceiver is going to be like the grandest monologue of them all. And he's just like a, a guy gnashing his teeth. He doesn't say a word. He's got three heads. They're all chowing down on different traitors. And um, he's, he's practically like um, an animal. And it, it's just one of my favorite little bits of uh, that book. And then they climb up his butt and gravity reverses and they head to purgatory. Um, <laughs> I love that. What a wild book. If you haven't read, if you haven't read Dante, Give it a chance, folks. Give it a chance. It's a lot of fun. Um, what do you say we try ranking this, Zach? Oh, we forgot to say that Puck becomes the king of hell at the end of this. That goes no. Oh, right. That's right. That's a- <laughs> that part's good. I like that. Because Puck, Puck's a small man, and he has a sword that's bigger than him, and he says, okay, demons, let's go fight me. Puck's happy joy. in that moment. There is joy in hell, and that is something beautiful. This is not that good, though. No, no, it's not. And I'm wondering if this is a 600 or a 700 story. Okay, what's it? 666. Hold on. I have to know. Ooh. Uh, this is worse than 666, which <laughs> is, and I am not making this up, Ghost Rider Brood Feud 2. Love <laughs> it. That's great. Oh. That's great. Um, I'm going to say something wild. I think this is worse than Pride and Wisdom at 673. Wow. I think that's fair. Is this better or worse than Nightcrawler or The Winding Way, where we get to know the story about the the fly demon that possessed Nightcrawler's brother and made him do some kid murders? Yeah, I mean, is that I the Riverdale like... guy? Yeah, it's the Riverdale guy. I was about to check if you knew that, yeah. Rob. Oof, man. That's um, a weird series. I think we're in the right, like, we're in Wisdom Max territory at 694, you know? When I read Nightcrawler, The Winding Way, I was confused. When I read this, I was sad. It made me sad because <laughs> I thought back on things I had loved and I thought about my ho- the hopes I had for this and I just had to take a moment and recollect myself. Yeah. Okay, but I this is better this is... than the Romulus arc at 706. Yeah, this is better than Emma Frost 1 to 6 at 701. Um, I think it's better. Yeah, it's better than Emma Frost 7 to 12 at 699. I would say put it below Wisdom Max above Rise of Apocalypse, making your new 695. Great. That seems like a, a fun place to put it. It's wonderful. I, I, it's a just story kind of about story. Wolverine going to hell should be better. Yeah, I should be more excited about Wolverine going to hell. And, you know, this isn't even people. the best Jason Aaron story where Wolverine goes to hell. That's amazing. X-Men one through five. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Got it. that's yeah, that's that's definitely more fun. All right, we have one more hell left, um, but this one is a little bit different. So, Zach, what is our third story of the week? Uh, We're talking about Sabretooth, The Adversary, um, written by Victor Lavelle uh, with pencils by Leonard Kirk. Um, 
let me say this. Victor Lavelle is my favorite author. He is the reason why I've read 60 plus books this year already. And I'm going to read significantly more. I made my wife watch Victor Lavelle's TV show that just came out because I said, I am watching this. You can watch it with me. There will be some child endangerment at one point. Uh, we'll work through that in our emotions of just having a baby while watching this show about a baby not being a baby uh, and instead being a changeling. Uh, we'll work through our complex emotions about that as it comes out. But I say that to say I was a little nervous when I heard Victor Lavelle was going to be writing Sabretooth, a book about Sabretooth, a character who <laughs> traditionally is not fun to read or good to read. And yet this is volume four of this character. So there have been several attempts. I'm trying to think is volume three, Mary Shelley overdrive. No, there. No, is, Mary Shelley overdrive is a different. That's its own. Thing. Okay. Okay. Yes. That's and Sabretooth that's Mystique a, is its own thing. So this is like the sixth try. They've, they've been trying to make Sabretooth happen for a while. Yeah. But this does seek to answer a more complicated question than just your average Sabretooth story. And that is one that was posed all the way back in House of Ten, power or House of X Powers of Ten. And that is what exactly is the Krakoan prison that Sabretooth is sent to in that miniseries? Because he disappears and we don't see him again until now, until this book. And that is a really interesting, like long period of time to be wondering what's going on down there. And the answer to that is complicated. So Rob, first impressions on Laval's uh, Sabretooth. This, uh, if it's not my favorite Krakoa era book, it's real close up there. Um, it is a delightful tour through a kind of hell that gets at a lot of things that I don't think people always realize are in Dante, but like Dante's Inferno is an intensely political book. It is in large part a book about what, it, what justice is, what just punishment is, and what a just city on earth would look like. You know, half the book is Dante meeting his political enemies and friends and going, oh, wow, you wound up in hell after you kicked me out of Florence, huh? Mm. Ah, how mm -hmm. surprising. Um, it, it really is a book about human affairs on earth and how we govern things just as much as is it about uh, supernatural and religious things. And so to use that framework to explore through this, um, through, through this character to explore notions of justice and punishment and what that looks like in this wacky superhero world with this even wackier than normal setting and premise, I think is, is just astounding. It is remarkable that even right in the, by the 19th, or I think it's like page 18 of the first issue, there is this amazing data page just called prison. And it asks this question, what is prison for? And in large part, that is what Laval seems to be trying to answer with this mini series, which is a very heavy thing to talk about. Right. He's asking, is it there to punish? Is it there to rehabilitate? Is it there to alter the prisoner? What is it there for? And as Sabretooth goes through this and he is now joined over the course of this series by several other uh, inmates, if you will, 
what is the, why are they there? And because they really do kind of have to make their own meaning out of something that really didn't have a lot of meaning. It was an afterthought, you know? So already a lot of complex ideas going on in this series. So I want to, I want to, I want to pounce on something you said, Adam, because I disagree that Lavelle is trying to provide an answer for any of this stuff. And I think this is a common theme in his work. He's not trying to give an answer. Lavelle is putting the information out there and having a conversation about it, which in my mind is the promise of books like House of X and Powers of 10 to the X-Men line. It's saying here is a setting, here is a thing, and it's messy and it's bad and like there's challenges and good with it. And how do you live with that? How do you understand that, express that, find the good and the bad and understand the reality of being with it? Because at the end of the day, like Lavelle does not think that this prison system is good or just or right. I think that's fair. But he is saying he's trying to he's trying to make you wrestle with the question of what do you do with a guy like Sabretooth, who in this case actually didn't break any laws of Krakoa because the laws didn't exist at the time Mm -hmm. and was working for the state and is still a terrible, horrible person who has done an uncountable amount of harm to the people around him and shows no remorse for any of it. He is a true monster, but what do we do with that? And Lavelle's looking at this and saying, okay, that's a story. People reckoning with that. And you see different ways of approaching it in this book. And I absolutely adore it, which is a wild thing to say about a book starring Sabretooth, a character I don't like. (laughs) Well, and it's not just Sabretooth. Um, because Sabretooth is joined by um, Necra, Oya, Melter, Third Eye. Melter, and a character Jeffries. who I had never read before. Just a, wild. Freaking Dark Rain Young Avengers. Yeah, pretty wild uh, picks. Um, each of them are there for some very different reasons. And some of them are kind of innocuous and some of them are not. But... Uh, you know, Third Eye's Reason is my favorite because I forgot about it until I reread it. Yeah, go ahead. Tell tell him what it is. Third Eye, who, by the way, is the most Victor Lavelle character to ever exist. He is a black guy who quotes literature while wearing a suit and looking really cool. And I, I have read all of his books and that character appears in every single one of them, more or less. Uh, he's great. He says that he got thrown into prison because he said that the floor babies of Krakoa was a bad thing. Love it. (laughs) Which was one of the most afterthought things to happen in the line. And I get how they got there and also did not think it through. Nope. uh, At all. And I love the third. I was like, are we serious about the floor babies? And he gets thrown into hell because of it. Amazing. Incredible. Um, Leonard Kirk, I think, does a fantastic job with the art here because there is a lot to do. Um, while Sabretooth is down there, he's basically constructing his reality inside of his head and he gets to do all kinds of things. He gets to go on revenge missions. He becomes a star jammer. Um, 
he becomes king of hell you know he's constantly being and he finds it boring that's the thing yes being the king of hell is not enough for him because it speaks to his character he is actually smart even though he's a monster he's smart in different ways he has different value that he brings and he has an ambition that ambition is to like feed whatever carnal bestial needs he has but that's what he wants and he's going to actively work towards that He's not happy just sitting on a throne and ruling. He needs to chase something. He needs to cause chaos and corruption. Like he has an innate desire for it. It's a really cool take on Sabretooth. Well, and because of this, we're also getting the seeds of kind of a rebellion that is happening as these characters realize that they can communicate with the island and they can communicate with their fellow mutant on the island. So we're getting these really fun cutscenes to conversations with mole or skin uh, or blob and, you know, their reactions to these situations and what's happening as they try to arrange their prison break. Cause this is also a prison break book um, is really entertaining. You know, it's, it's just, very, very thoughtful writing, and I enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, what I love is whenever the kind of very thoughtful thematic stuff ties into something stupid I love about comic books. And so writing a comic <laughs> book that is in large part about, um, you know, who do we decide is important and who do we decide is not mm. important and how prison often functions just as that determining factor of you go to prison if you are not important. Um, just aligns nicely with, reading about silly, obscure characters that no one cares about. Like, Mm -hmm. I love a comic that's just like, it's about Mole now. It's about Mole hanging out with the Blob. Um, That rules. That rules on a purely comic book level. And the fact that it can tie into something that uh, will get some people thinking about very complex ideas, uh, that rules. To be clear, Mole had appeared three times before this comic book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's an old X-Factor character, just so we know, it was three unique times. Um, the other characters to get a, a little bit of sunshine here, which I think is great, are um, core to the Krakoan era is the trio of Doug, uh, Warlock, and the island itself uh, of Krakoa. And we're getting their perspective on this as well. And I love the visualization of Doug uh, with you know, as as the attorney with Warlock as his briefcase, um, who then slowly becomes Warlock later. Leonard Kirk does a fantastic Warlock. We're always so savage when we talk about artists trying to draw this character, and he does a great job of it. And we're starting to see what kind of, you know, ways that the three of them can bend the rules um, because they're not in alignment necessarily with the Quiet Council. You know, and this is the kind of political stuff that really makes Krakoa work um, when it's at its most interesting. Yes. And that's that's where I think this book really, really shines. It asks questions about this era. It does not give you clean answers. And it's like Victor Lavelle knows he's writing kind of a stupid comic book. Like he's leaning into (laughs) the fact that this is a comic book. And we love dumb stuff in comic books. I'm reading so much Ghost Rider, none of which is actually traditionally good, mm-hmm. uh, but it is 
chock full of dumb, cool comic stuff. Like, you're getting that here. You're getting so much of that. And you're feeling smart because Victor Ravel will then put like, by the way, you know about the CIA? You know about some of the weird cultural stuff the CIA was doing, which is public record? Yeah, he is beautiful. Using this as a as a platform to you know do a little education while he's here too, and I think that's fantastic. Ben Percy has a nonfiction book about how to write well, and I think you can sum up his point. It's worth reading. Everyone should buy it and read it. It's a good book. It's called Thrill Me. You you can thank you. You you can sum it up by saying that like if you're writing something smart, throw in something a little dumb that's fun, and if you're writing something dumb, throw in some stuff that's smart. To give people something to think about, and uh, that that is just the kinds of comics that I love that that bring like the the two things together. And I, I think this this um, this comic about Melter sometimes just uh, blowing up a little uh, heart of Krakoa, um, and um, sometimes Necra becoming a woman made out of uh, grass, walking around to get a ship. So they can become pirates that will escape Krakoa and then hunt down Sabretooth. All this stuff is joyful comic book nonsense, but it's so smart still. I think my my most joyful moment in this comic is when I was reading it for the first time and I realized that, oh, no, we're going to have Victor Lavelle writing Nanny and the Orphan Maker now. Yes. (laughs) Who pop in right at the end. (laughs) And it's all I want is for Nanny and the Orphan Maker to have good things in their life. And you know what? If we never see Nanny during Sabretooth War, at least she has good things in her life being she has captured so many children now. And she is so happy. <laughs> Living her full life. So, uh, Rob, on the Hellameter, how are we doing here? Dante, uh, for the like thematic reasons, I would give this a good like 7, 8 on, on the Dante. Um, nice. Biblically, biblically, Again, we're, we're real low. You know, none of this stuff aligns with the with the Bible stuff. So one thing I do think does align with the Bible stuff is in the, not in Sabretooth's perception of hell, because this is Sabretooth saying what he thinks hell would be like, but in the idea of the Krakoan pit being a place of pure isolation and separation from anything good in the world. I do think there are thematic ties to hell as described in the actual scripture um yeah okay i i, I would buy that I, I would describe that as more as more like the theology traditions uh and sure. the bible being a lot more nebulous um but but that's I, fair I'm with that's you fair there. i i so i with that argument i would bump it up to about like four out of ten bible hells i would give this like a nine out of ten as far as theology hells go um it's it's high up there it's good folks if All you've right, not so, read uh saber go read it it's great i love this book it's, it made it me is. so happy to read it again. Um, all right. So we know how it did on the Hellometer. Let's take a look at the big old list. Now, the can last... Can I say something about the list? Yes. Oh, can I, can I lean into the mic real close? Real, yeah. Lean into the, the mic real close, close and say, Adam? Go ahead. Adam? You're going to want to scroll up. Scroll the hell <laughs> up. <laughs> okay. So... The last two Krakoa stories that I think we ranked on the on the pod were at 141 was the first four issues of Cable Volume 4. And then above that at 123, we have X-Men Volume 5, 18 to 19, which was The Vault. Oh, that's easy, Adam. This is is better. I'm going to say this is better than both of those. How high do you want to go? 
So that's a great question, Adam. I'm thank you for asking it. Uh, this breaks the top 100 for me, and I'm saying this kicking out a story where Glob, Herman, and Maggot do a fight. Mm. Oh man! So you know I'm being serious here. Uh, I I think this is fantastic. In fact, I think a very good comparison that is in a good spot on this list is at 46, Age of X-Men, Prisoner X by Vida Ayala and Herman Peralta. Mm. That is a really good comparison, and I think this does it better. Um, no shame to that book, which I think Vida and Peralta do an amazing job with and is one of them, you know, it's up there amongst my favorite Bishop stories, but I do think that Laval is really trying something a lot more complex with what he's doing here in these five issues. I think Laval is really tapping into something special with the storytelling in this. It it goes up past 46 for me. Where I do find some level of fault in this book is while Leonard Kirk is a incredibly competent storyteller, I don't think his visuals live up to the hype of some of the best comics out there. Now, okay. I think I would take Kirk on a book as like, oh, here's a good hand. Here's a guy who's going to, I'm not going to be mad to see Leonard Kirk on a book, but he's not going to, he has not in his, in the stuff I've read, blown me away in the way I've seen like a Barry Windsor Smith do or something like that. And I say that because, Right up in like the 30s, we have Wounded Wolf and uh, Life Deaths and things like that, where you are now you are now dropping like smart, good storytelling with some of the best art in comics. And that's where I am trying to figure out what the right place is for this book. Well, because I love. Yeah, if we're talking about this artistically, we're, we're up against like some really heavy hitters, right? 44, Mike Allred with the, the dupe one shot from Wolverine and the X-Men 43, the first three issues of generation X. That's like Chris Pachalo at like some of his finest, right? The havoc and Wolverine meltdown series. Like clearly all of those are better artistic achievements than this. Um, I think also just in terms of the larger canon of the stories, I don't know if I would, go above the trial of Magneto at 41. Um, See, I, here's what I would say, Adam, because we're looking right around the same spot. I would say that this threads the needle of, you know, still good visual storytelling with some of the smartest writing mm. that is out there in X-Men that I would give it a bump up to, I would say that my, where I think the bottom should be is number 38, which is X-Men, Alpha Flight Omega or Alpha and Omega Age of Apocalypse. I think as as a story, it's more cohesive than those, even if the visuals are not the top of the class. I do think an interesting comparison for us is that Domino series we just talked about recently with the uh, Arma Jesuits. Right, right. And we were gaga about that, but we did butt up against some of these like X-Men canonical classic things like Phoenix Saga, Life Death, Brood Saga, um, Duel, Wounded Wolf. Like it's difficult to get through that pack um, to get up to, let's say, like the top 25, right? I I have a, a brief argument that may 
not change things, but I think we'll put it in that same conversation. This book, because it's about minor characters and Sabretooth, is never going to be like one of the most important and significant books. However, I think it's going to be one of like two or three books from this era that we will look back once Krakoa is gone and say, this book did it. Certain yeah. promises were made. And this is one of the like three books that actually fulfilled those promises we were given. We were told that the next few years of comics were going to be different and they were going to be important works of art. I can't fault that. I mean, the writing is excellent and you're right. It is satisfying the, the ethos of what they're supposed to be doing with the era. Right. So Zach, how high are you willing to go? Here's what I'm going to say. I would, Rob, you, you have convinced me to look slightly higher and here's where, where I think this should fall under life death Two at number 33, but above the Phoenix saga at 34. I'm game for that. I mean, I don't, I am always like thinking about sort of the, the classic nature of, of these stories, but I agree with Rob that I think that this one is going to enter the Pantheon. So this is going to be our new 34 Sabretooth volume four by Victor Laval and Leonard Kirk. Um, Wow. We really did travel through many circles of hell tonight. Rob, thank you so much for being here. Thank you folks for having me. It was a delight to be on. And, um, you know, this podcast has meant a lot in my life. Um, I think I listened to it before I actually knew either of you, uh, which well is weird. All. Like it, it is that's crazy odd. to think because like, we've, man. we've over like the last we've four or five years, years, we've been very good yeah. friends. Uh, but that is weird to think about Rob. Wow. So, um, I, I hope, I hope you both do know that, uh, even, even before we were friends, you were having a positive impact on my life. Uh, getting me into comics again, getting me one of those group of podcasts that got me into the pool list, into the comic book store, um, got me really into X-Men. So thank you both. Hey, thank you for being a good friend. You know, that's nice. That's a very nice thing that you've said. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? I don't know what you're doing nowadays. I'm on, you can follow me on Twitter at Robert Secundus. Um, I have a Kofi account. If you want to just toss a coin, my I got a dentist bill. It's not good. It's not good. Uh, insurance should have paid for it. They did not. So if you want to uh, help me out with that, that'd be great. I am theoretically going to start posting some things to a blog. They are being written. They will be on Twitter or Blue Sky. Same at. Um, follow me wherever. And eventually, when I actually accomplish something again and write something again, uh, you, you will find it there. Or listen to me on Bat Chat with Matt and Will, where I've made a few guest appearances. If you want to listen to another Comics XF podcast. Nice. Uh, I'm excited for that. Adam, what about you? Anything you got to plug? Um, let's see. Uh, I similarly did record an episode of Bat Chat that is coming out like around Thanksgiving. So, cause they're like a month ahead. I don't know how Matt will do that. Um, but I, I will be on there um, in, in a few weeks. Gene uh, Gray 3 just came out. So look for um, Anna and I wrote another review of that. Folks can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and Blue Sky and Instagram at Adam Wreck. Zach, never find Zach. And, uh, never find me. What are we doing next week? I actually have no idea. Oh, next week. Uh, remember when I gave everyone a you decide choice on what stories from Zach's picks we're going to do? Well, oh, yeah. here's the thing. We're doing the other ones now. We're doing nice. the ones that I wanted to do more. Great. 
Uh, they're dumb stuff from the IVX era. I can't wait. Until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!